The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm my, a film critic. Everyone calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. Okay. I, too, am a film critic. Yeah. Very eager. And everybody calls me Bibbs. You know, it, it's very confusing. Yeah. We have the same nickname. Uh, this is a very special episode of Cancel Too Soon because it is a Christmas episode. And it's kind of hard to do Christmas episodes on our show because most shows that don't like last long don't get time to do a Christmas episode. Well, and... We can cover as many Octobers as you like, because there are plenty of horror shows and plenty of Halloween-related TV shows, like whole series, that we can kind of latch on to. There has yet to be, to my knowledge, a Christmas series. And I really... Like a Santa Claus sitcom or I, some such thing. Why isn't there? Doesn't that seem mm. to write itself? Like, that could be on the Disney Channel or something? Just, yeah, just Santa, maybe Santa's kids or something like that, mm, or the elves? Uh, it's Christmas year-round, yeah. and just have a series about Christmas. You could do that. That'd mm. be fun. I'm sure, I'm sure it'd be cute. Yeah. And maybe maybe it's, a, maybe it's like a 12-episode series. You start it in November, and you're done by December 25th. Mm. Cool. But, but we don't do that. Yeah. No one's done that. So uh, last year, we finagled it a little bit. And we ended up doing a commentary track for a Yule Log. <laughs> and it was actually really interesting because the history of using your television as a Yule Log is a little bit richer than you'd think. Mm-hmm. There, there's there's some background to that tradition. So that episode is still available and you can listen to that. That's evergreen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can listen to that. That's what we call it in the business. If, it, if an article like never stops being topical, like it's always something people will search for. Like, what are the best comedies ever made? Like, evergreen content. Um so that one's still available, but we were able to find a failed pilot that was set at Christmas, or at least it's about Christmas. Mm. And it's an interesting, bizarre Biz- show. Definitely bizarre. Very bizarre show from a very bizarre filmmaker named mm. Ralph Bakshi. Mm-hmm. Ralph Bakshi is best known as one of the few filmmakers to become famous for making adult-themed animation. And I'm not talking yeah. about porno. I'm talking about... Although, well, he although did, kind of, yeah. He did some X-rated stuff, yeah. but this is back when the X-rating... Meant like a clockwork orange. It didn't necessarily mean, mm. you know, sex. Like, mm. sexy sex. No, he was making stuff like Fritz the Cat. He was making stuff like The Lord of the Rings, which is an yeah. early action movie animated version. He had a great fantasy film called Wizards, mm. uh, which I love. He did uh, Cool World, which is not really well regarded, but is noted. There's some good <laughs> stuff in there. Um, that was later. I'm thinking about more like the early stuff. Mm. He did American Pop and Fire mm. and Ice. And uh, in 1988, following the success of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Nickelodeon got real excited to work with Ralph Bakshi, who had an idea he'd been toying with. For decades, apparently. Mm. It was originally called Junktown, and it was a story about all the stuff that gets lost, all the junk. It goes to Junktown. And Junktown, at it, it, Junktown is a town. Everything in there is a lost item, and everything gets anthropomorphized. Mm-hmm. So if like, oh, I lost my pen. Your pen is in Junktown. 
and it is alive and, and it's having now, adventures. Now it's buying drinks and being kind of kind of cynical. Yeah, that's very um, Ralph Bakshi. And Ralph, he ended up changing yeah. the title to, and we have a promo for this, mm. Christmas in Tattertown. There's one Christmas story you can only see on Nickelodeon. In a strange place where trees talk, spiders sing, and flies are spies, Debbie's favorite doll comes alive. I'm not a dolly anymore! And she tries to keep Debbie from bringing Christmas to Tattertown. It must be Santa! Close, but no cigar! Can Christmas be saved? Watch Christmas in Tattertown, Friday, 8.30, 7.30 Central, only on Nickelodeon. Uh, very clearly inspired by uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But uh, mm-hmm. to be fair, Roger Rabbit was inspired by Ralph Bakshi. Well, I think Ralph... Um, it's weird. Ralph, Roger Rabbit was both, inspired by Ralph Bakshi, yeah. and I think both of them, their taste in animation mm. goes way back. Well, it goes... So like the 1920s, Betty it, Boop, it takes Mary Melody. Yeah, it takes a lot from, uh, from Fleischer's Betty Boop cartoons. Uh, it takes a lot from Coco the Clown. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a lot from... I mean, heck, even Gertie the Dinosaur. It's not from um, Ub Iverks. Like, just yeah. the early, more experimental animators mm. before Disney kind of codified yeah. how America... Disney and then later Hanna-Barbera Hanna would uh. codify how Americans view animation in a very... It has a formula yeah, because of that. It's also very clean. And Ralph Bakshi uh, also took a great deal of inspiration from uh, Bob Clampett, mm. from the Warner Brothers camp. Uh, Bob Clampett ma- was a chaotic animator. He, he was the one, like, if, you were, if you've seen any of the Bugs Bunny cartoons where he He's really ugly, like he's like <laughs> wrinkly and looks diseased. That's probably Bob Clampett. Yeah, and a lot of animators took a lot of inspiration from Bob Clampett, including Ralph Bakshi. So his animation style looks like something from the '30s. It's really hyperactive. There's a lot of movement. Yeah, he likes that kind of chaotic movement. Yeah. Well, again, when you're making, when you're doing working in animation, your characters mm. aren't like beholden to the laws of physics or even matter Mm. so you know i can't bend my arm this way but a cartoon can so why shouldn't it yeah yeah and that's what about ralph bakshi is playing with here and again ralph bakshi is used to playing with really dark serious storylines here he's making a story that's ostensibly for kids but it has the seedy undertone to it yeah where it really does feel like every like tattertown smells like cigar smoke like you can just tell that it does because ralph bakshi smells like cigar smoke (laughs) Ralph yeah, Bakshi no, was, a, was a large, robust, hard-living... He is a large, yeah. robust, hard-living man. And yeah. uh, there was a, a Ren and Stimpy adult party episode where Ralph Bakshi played himself. Uh, and he got to say things, Hey, boys, you want to watch me take a dump? You know, he, he was... Oh, my God. It's like constantly smoking big cigars. I, I, a friend of mine got to meet him once at mm. a, a midnight show with the New Art here in Los Angeles. They were showing one of his movies. I forgot which one. Um, but he's like, Hey, I, I, I need some booze. I need some beer before we do the show. And... Rather than going up to the corner and crossing the street like a sane person, uh-huh. he ran directly into traffic. Yeah, he could like he could have died. I've interviewed Ralph Bakshi a couple of times over the phone, uh, but I, I will say this about Ralph Bakshi: he's unfiltered. And when you interview <laughs> a lot of people, they're very filtered. Yeah, yeah, they know exactly what they're supposed to say and how they're supposed to say it. And Ralph Bakshi was telling, "Yeah, that guy was an ass." Yeah, <laughs> fire and he would even say like I didn't like fire and ice. I thought it wasn't very good. I'm like yeah. I liked it, and he's just like oh, all right, fair enough. And but like fine, it's a piece of crap. <laughs> no, I don't think he said that. No, but no. yeah, but he's he's very he's very forthright, mm. and that can be really off putting. And for all I know, if you know him personally, he he's he's terrible or lovely. I don't know, mm. but it translates to his work. His work is very 
confrontational and it's not afraid to show the ugly side of characters in animation. And when Ralph Bakshi started making movies on his own, because he started off like many animators doing like TV or whatever, right. but uh, for other people. And But when he started doing his own stuff, he wanted it to be gruff. Mm-hmm. And because it was so unlike any other Western animation, mm. people had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Like, you couldn't just, like, write off Fritz the Cat. You had to say, like, <laughs> okay, it's Fritz the Cat, it's it's kind of... Str- okay, no, wait, we actually need to have a serious conversation about what he's doing with the medium here. <laughs> because whether or not I like the movie, uh, this is incredibly new in the environment mm-hmm. in which he has released it. No, notably, our Crumb, who came up with Fritz the Cat hates the movie. I don't, I don't mm. doesn't surprise but me. But Arkham hates everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's his shtick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we made a kid's show, and it feels a little grimy. The plot of the show is there's a, there's a young girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is, oh, what's her name? Debbie? Debbie, that's yeah. right. Uh, Debbie uh, has a pet doll, has a doll and a, like, stuffed dog. Yeah. And she and her two toys fall into a portal into Tattertown. Mm. Very, and, very Alice in Wonderland-like. And uh, her dog and her doll come to life. Mm-hmm. And the dog is still very faithful and true. And the dog, it turns out, always hated the being played with. And as soon as she comes alive, she's like, I'm alive! I can run! And she, like, runs away uh, from Debbie. Miss Muffet, uh, yeah, hated being a doll. Yep, hated it, loves uh, being wanted, alive. Wanted to be lost. And, like, in the opening, you mm-hmm. see Debbie chasing Miss Muffet around trying to make her her doll again. Here's the thing. I'm on the doll's side. Already yeah. you've broken the show. Uh-huh. Because the doll is portrayed throughout the entire thing like this... Trash talking, hard edged monster who hates Christmas. She's, she's Baby Herman. She's Baby Herman. She's like there was actually a, a Batman villain, at least in the animated series. Oh, with the ventriloquist dummy guy. No, no, or? not the ventriloquist. The, the, there was actually like a, a, a young actress who oh, was like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. Judy yeah, Garland. Yeah. She was forced to stay young forever, and uh-huh. she it, she just warped. Um, she, she had a medical condition where she always looked like a child, and no one could take her seriously as an actress, and she kind of flipped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. An awkward character, mm. but I feel like it's mm. playing off of the same tropes that Miss Muffet is. But yeah, Miss Muffet is portrayed as the villain here, and she wants to, like, you know, stop Debbie from wanting her to be a doll. Take over Tattertown. Uh, Debbie, she's alive now. She has agency. Uh-huh. It's nice that the dog wants to stay with you, but Miss Muffet doesn't have to. So but whenever Debbie, Debbie can't see her as anything else other than a dolly. And there's a there's a tragedy there. Like I would like to see a story that's just about that. Like the sort of reverse, like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> in a lot of ways where Winnie the Pooh's desperately trying to get away from Christopher Robin Christopher was like no my parents bought you for me like there's actually like are, a story are, there yeah you are my slave yeah it's and, really dark and, and you can play with that what I love is that uh, Debbie doesn't have the catharsis no because it's a show uh-huh. it, was, it was a pilot for a series the pilot just happened to be a Christmas episode mm-hmm. which is kind of a clever idea you can take the episode and if it, the series doesn't take off you can at least air this as a Christmas special which yeah. is what Nickelodeon did uh, Nickelodeon aired this on December 21st 1988 and uh, it's hard to say exactly but this is certainly at least one of the first original pieces of animation they commissioned oh, okay. when, Nickel- when Nickelodeon started they mostly took animation from other places like mm. I think Maya the Bee was German and they took yeah, a lot yeah. of anime you, you can't do that on television was uh, Canadian, Canadian. Yeah, yeah this was like an original piece of animation that they commissioned they ended up not going with it but mm. what are you going to do um, 
So, yeah. <laughs> because it's weird AF, and uh, I think kids wouldn't know what to do with this sort of thing. So, uh, and it, what's, other, what's also weird is that the various different characters in Tattertown have different sort of animation models and styles. Mm-hmm. So, Miss Muffet is very Tex Avery. Yeah. But Debbie is totally a younger version of Olive Oil from the old Popeye cartoons. For sure. She's very lanky. She mm-hmm. has those same odd camera angles and weird mouth movements that are unlike mm-hmm. other characters. And um, so... What happens and she, is, and she also has like an innocent Betty Boop quality. Like yeah, Betty Boop didn't stretch around a lot. Like she's she's sincere. She's not evil. Like I I, I know she's in the wrong morally, mm-hmm. but like she's a kid, and she's she, not a bad kid. She's a kid, but she's sort of like a, a weird, exaggerated version of a kid who doesn't understand anything in the world and seems incapable of achieving understanding. And I think well, you could look at this as she she too is lost, and she's mm-hmm. always going to be stuck here in a state of perpetual childhood. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. So she has a Peter Pan quality to her, and. It's odd that you know, most kids shows you look you look at, especially from this time, there was a very antagonistic central relationship between a hero and a villain somewhere in the show. Mm. It was like a central nemesis and a central hero, and they always fought one another. That was sort of their relationship. But it was rarely as antagonistic as it is here. Yeah, there's where, hatred where they here. actually hate one another and you feel it. It's yeah, not Blaise like Muffet does. It's not like I hate you, Spider Man. Well, of course you hate Spider Man because you're a bad guy. Miss Muff, like we understand Miss Muffet's hatred. Yeah, her, her hatred comes from a real place of being oh. genuine. I mean, granted, she was an inanimate object and Debbie mm. didn't know, but now that she's animate, now that she has like uh, can convey mm. thoughts, and she keeps telling Debbie, "No, I don't want to be your plaything," and Debbie can't pick up on that. Debbie's very wrong. Mm. And as a result, I can't imagine this working as a long form uh, series. I think it may work as one story if they, if Debbie came to a conclusion of some kind. Either she just turned into the horrible villain, Miss oh. Muffet, got to be the hero at the end, or Debbie realizes she was wrong. But um, yeah, instead, the plot introduces Debbie and Miss Muffet, and Miss Muffet ends up going to like this sort of demilitarized Mad Max zone in Tattertown <laughs> and taking over the joint like immediately mm-hmm. and starts ordering people around. Meanwhile, Debbie discovers that no one in Tattertown understands what Christmas is. So she decides... Well, because gonna... they've been thrown away. They've never been played with. That's true. You would think so, that being toys, they would understand that, but yeah. yeah. So she decides she's going to teach them what Christmas is. Mm-hmm. And she starts, she starts... It's actually kind of funny. She starts to scavenger hunt because everything in Tattertown is something someone lost. She says, there's got to be some Christmas stuff around here somewhere. Everyone, find Christmas. Yeah. And it's this huge scavenger hunt, and someone finds a wreath somewhere. Great, we got one! And then uh, they find... They're looking for a Christmas tree, and they find one named Mr. Tannenbaum, who is a very <laughs> Jewish man. <laughs> He's Sid Caesar, is what he is. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of funny. He doesn't want to do it, but then in this weird, questionable <laughs> moment, she ends up appealing to his vanity. And I'm like, he's you're going in a weird place here, where she's just like, hey, listen, I know you don't want to be a tree, but you'll be the only one on the market. And he's like, well, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> it's and, a weird moment. It's that weird sort of like hate and pettiness that makes this thing interesting. Let's make it good, but okay, well, interesting. Maybe, maybe, maybe not good, but you know, this is not the kind of pettiness you usually see peddled to children. And pet- kids understand that. Kids can be petty. Well, at least we're the and, victims of pettiness. We go to yeah. school. Exactly. <laughs> we, we know bullies. And and I think that there's something kind of admirable about that kind of f- frantic petty ugliness being included in a children's program. Well, Bob, Bob Clampett did it, Ralph yeah. Bakshi did it, and and I, I, I hate to mention it, but John Kay did it. And uh, Yeah. And, and listen, that can work. Mm. And here I don't think he's got a good delivery system for it is a problem. Mm. Because I think the central relationship between the hero and the villain 
is ironic to the point of being completely undone. Mm. Because the hero is doing the villainous thing. Yeah. Uh, Miss Muppet finds out about Christmas and she hates Christmas. Uh-huh. Christmas wronged her. <laughs> I, I'm not sure, but I think maybe she was like given as a Christmas present. Mm. So she's really mad and she's going to invade Tattertown and destroy them on Christmas. She's got two two uh, uh, lieutenants. Uh, they are uh, a spider, a, a telephone. Oh, I guess yeah. There's a spider. There's a telephone, and there's another. There's office. a toy tank that shoots things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like there's a telephone, like an old timey telephone mm-hmm. with like a hand, like a cradle. Um, and uh, she's got a spider, and she's also got like a fly or a mosquito that mm. helps them that helps her fly, like just right, picks her right, up. Right. Um, and they're going to invade Tattertown. Mm. Uh, the invasion does not go well. The planes uh, end up retreating into each other and blowing each other up, and there's a huge fireworks display, and everyone goes, "Ooh, Christmas!" Hmm. No one in Tattertown understands Christmas, and it's actually a scene that's not unlike it, Nightmare on Before Christmas, which would debut several years later. Um, I don't know if there's any yeah, that's, if that's a coincidence or not, yeah. but it is kind of interesting to see an alternate reality full of creatures who don't understand Christmas misinterpreting Christmas very specifically and kind of darkly, and then you see that scene in Nightmare Before Christmas, which is very similar. <laughs> I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I just think it's 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 an odd. It's a weird coincidence. It's a parallel. It's a parallel. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Tim Burton knew the work of Ralph Bakshi. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he's intimately familiar. I, with I, Ralph I don't Bakshi. think there's anything going on there. I think it's an interesting parallel. Um, and uh, and it ends really badly. Not badly <laughs> that everyone dies or anything like that. It's just the ending is stupid. Because it ends with uh, Debbie. Everyone's fighting and Debbie wants to stop yeah, it. And she finds a record. The, for, of the one song they licensed. Yeah, of Bing Crosby's <laughs> White Christmas. Still to this day, one of the most popular songs ever. Like mm. recordings of that were everywhere. Millions sold. I, I, yeah, I think it has some sort of records. Like yeah. the, the most, like the best-selling out, like single of all time. Yeah, so, something and, along those lines. Or at least it was. And fair enough. And it's a great song. And she plays it, and everyone stops. Mm. And they learn the magic of Christmas. Problem is, song. problem is, mm-hmm. they know nothing about Christmas still. They have no emotional connection to that song. So that, oh, stop. <laughs> bing, bing, their bingle is singing. <laughs> there's, no, there's no emotional connection to it. There's no frame of reference to it. There's like, oh, that's kind of a nice song, which is kind of a lame ending mm, to a yeah. story is everyone stops doing what they're doing because a kind of nice song is playing. Mm. It's like Ralph Bakshi didn't have a punchline so it's like, oh, and they listen to a Christmas record. Well, Everything's okay. Ralph Bakshi is not sentimental. Not not for a second. No, I can't think of a single sentimental moment mm. in any Ralph Bakshi movie I've ever seen. Mm. That's he's, fine. He's, that's he's, his thing. He's, that's de- what he does. he's deeply cynical and that's fine. And this was a time when Nickelodeon, I think just culture in general, was going through a very cynical period. And you look around at what uh, what Nickelodeon went end up, up producing stuff like Rugrats and ah real monsters you know the classy Supo stuff and Chupo I don't know something like that and you know these really kind of uh, ugly designs and really bizarre animation projects that were just sort of leaking into the consciousness Duckman and stuff and uh, that that wasn't Nick pardon that wasn't Nick that wasn't Nickelodeon just to clarify yeah, yeah just, just it, all of that stuff was in there and The well, Simpsons is also part of well, this those ugly and, designs uh, actually emerged in the 70s like in the wake of Ralph Bakshi and you would yeah, yeah. you would see movies like was it Down and Dirty Duck which mm. are just these I think ugly just Dirty Duck Dirty right, Duck yeah. yeah just these ugly animated movies and mm. the ugliness is kind of part of the appeal they feel like a 
underground comic yeah, brought yeah, yeah. to life, and that's that weird seediness is kind of ingrained into the appeal. But and when I've, you make that into a kid's story, it just comes across as a little unpleasant. And, and and even though you know Rugrats is seen as this sort of like sweet nostalgic show about being a little toddler, being a little baby, uh-huh. there is a weird, ugly reality to that. I think and, they're visually the, off putting. I could never I, get into Rugrats. Hard to look at the Rugrats, and I know a lot of people love them. Yeah. I think you're of the age when you were like still learning visual language. I mean, a lot of people were mm. when they experienced Rugrats. They were still learning visual language, and so you were more accepting of everything you saw. Yeah, and as a result, you're really forgiving about a lot of stuff. But I had already seen like a lot of cartoons and television when Rugrats came on, and I'm watching mm. Rugrats. I'm just like, this is physically difficult to watch. <laughs> and I, I get it. I know people like it, but mm. man, I was I was gone. I was and, out and of the demo. And, and, by and that it was point. and it wasn't shortly after the when the Ren and Stimpy show debuted. So yeah, there's this kind of weird wildness that had sort of pervaded through animation and during this very specific period, and only off to the side. A lot of the mainstream animation was still very clean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know, one one half was doing Ah, real monsters. The other half was doing the Muppet Babies. You know, something where we're going to take friendly characters and make them even friendlier. Uh, <laughs> what a twist! Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know those cutesy things that used to be even cutesier. Damn it! When they were babies. <laughs> um, Muppet Babies was bafflingly popular. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Christmas in Tattertown is but, sorry, oh, go ahead. but yeah, my, know, point, my point was going to be that you know sorry. Ralph Bakshi came right in the heart of all of this, so it makes sense that it's cynical and ugly and gross, and yet totally meant for a mainstream kid audience. Yeah. I, if I was a kid, I think I would have been interested in this show, but I also think I would have lost interest quickly mm. when I realized there really wasn't anything to connect to. Well, and it's so chaotic that it loses you after a while. Yeah. The visual, like, he wants every frame for there to be complete and utter chaotic movement. Everything goes off model at all times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scenes are paced really badly. There's a lot of weird uses of music and volume. Everybody's shrieking the entire time. Mm-hmm. There's not a down moment. There's not no emotional moments well the white christmas but they don't earn it yeah the, and the, yeah. Yeah, all of a sudden just all this chaos freezes while they play white christmas oh i guess there can be no chaos it's like uh wacky land from tiny toon adventures if it were horrifying no so it's, it's so already it's, kind of horrifying so it's pleasure island from pinocchio there you go it's yeah yeah except everyone's always in a state of panic because they're turning into a donkey exactly yeah. <laughs> it is the realm of panic and there's something aesthetically admirable about that, but when you're a kid, you can't. Even when you're a kid, you can't hang on to that level of chaos, even for 22 minutes. Well, I'm sure some people could, but yeah. even so as, so, as an adult, I can because I can admire it from an aesthetic level. But as a kid, I, I wouldn't be able to get behind the humor or the characters at all. As an adult, looking back at Christmas in Tattertown, mm. uh, it's an interesting footnote in Ralph Bakshi's career. Uh, it's it's certainly fun to watch for about 22 minutes yeah, because you know that there won't be any more of it. <laughs> um, and there's there's some really gorgeous animation in mm-hmm. here. It, it goes off model and it's really, really weird, but it's clearly intentional. Um, I love seeing Ralph Bakshi play with the vibrant, uh, extemporaneous, anything-can-happen animation styles of the 1920s mm-hmm. and 30s. And when it is purely a work of novel, imaginative animation... It's a lot. Of, it, it's fun. It's certainly fun to look at. It's fun to think about. The story is so wonky. It, the story is like a, a, a tertiary afterthought. Nobody cared about the story, least of all Ralph Bakshi. But the problem is the story is still big enough that mm-hmm. it takes up space yeah. and you have to deal with it. And you have to deal with the fact that Miss Muffet is the wrong party here and we're following the wrong protagonist. You have to deal with the fact that the story doesn't build to anything and just kind of stops. Um <laughs> So, it, listen, if you're looking for something new that people have 
seen. Christmas in Tattertown is readily available. I think Ralph Bakshi bought the rights back, mm. uh, and it's still pretty freely available online. Um, it's an interesting 22 minutes. So if you love animation, it's certainly something worth checking yeah, out. If you're a student of animation, you definitely need to check out. What this would you out. think an average, a typical episode of this show would be like? Well, if this went 100 episodes, like, where does the, it go? Here's the thing. The, the premise is two characters really hate each other. And they're always going to conflict in every episode. But mm. I have a feeling that Ralph Bakshi would get bored with any kind of standard storytelling premise. So it couldn't be like... Debbie lives on this side of town. Mm. Muff, Muffet lives on this other side of town, and they're going to have like. And today's the cook-off episode, or we're going to go camping, and they kind of go, you know, go at each other's throats. In this episode, we're shrunk. I think he would have changed the premise with every episode. I think it would have like, focused and, on and all this, these different weird characters yeah, like, that in, live in Tattered. In this one, they're roommates again. <laughs> And they live inside a dead cow. You know, whatever it is. <laughs> well, I think, again, he loves all these weird supporting side characters who yeah, have only yeah. one line or only show up in the background. I think each of them would probably have gotten their own episode. Yeah. And Debbie or Miss, or Miss Muffet would have been, like, fighting in the background mm. or something, but they wouldn't always be an important character. Yeah, and, and, and the, you know, the telephone wanders off and sits on the edge of a cliff. I hate being a telephone. Like, he's clearly mm. more interested in the world than he is in the characters. Mm. And this is, they simply explored the world. It's this week in Tattertown. No. Oh, we forgot to mention, it's all uh, uh, narrated... By a oh. saxophone played by Keith, Keith David. David. He's the only notable actor, but yeah. Yeah, Keith David's great. Yeah. I love Keith David. Um, it's, it's got some cool people in it. Jennifer Darling. Uh, uh, played Miss Muffet. Played Miss Muffet. Yeah. I'm a fan of her. Um, you, 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 you look Charlie up, Adler is in it. Yeah, Char- Charlie Adler plays the spider, I believe. Charlie yeah, Adler, who's who Buster played, Bunny in Tiny Toons. Uh, Buster Bunny is also Cow and Chicken. Uh, speaking of u- ugly animation, yeah. yeah, Cow and Chicken, which is, well, it's just the Ren and Stimpy show over again. But, uh, hey, uh, no, I mean, like, exactly. No, I, <laughs> it really is. Um, and there's actually people who worked on this. Mm-hmm. Um, is it Rich Moore, who co-directed... Oh, yeah. Uh, Ralph breaks the internet. Yeah, yeah, he's he he was on this. I think it was like a color timer, or he was directing the color, something he, like that. Yeah, he he. I mean, Rich Moore is a, an animation veteran going way way back. I became familiar with him when I was watching Futurama. I saw his name in the the credits a lot, and then yeah. I bought the DVDs, and he did a lot of commentary. So yeah, he's a people work incredibly their way, talented guy. People work their way up in animation. Yeah, like yeah, you, and, people like work their asses off, and eventually, so it's like oh, to be oh huge. Rich Moore, he's all of a sudden out of nowhere. No, he's been working for. Th- 40 effing years, this guy. Um, Tom Minton worked on this. He did a lot of cool stuff. He wrote Mm. for the Duck Dodgers series and Animaniacs. Oh, okay. um, So, yeah, a lot of interesting people worked on this. Mm. It's kind of a fascinating little footnote. But was it canceled too soon? It's an iffy one, right? Because on one hand, seeing Ralph Bakshi well, okay. like, with the freedom to go crazy every week is pretty tempting. Uh, it's pretty tempting, but I'm going to say no, because he is so unhinged in Christmas in Tattertown that he's lost not just cohesion of story, which I don't really care about, but he's lost humor as well. There weren't a lot of laugh-out-loud moments. There were just a lot of confusing moments. <laughs> and... I can deal with confusing, but yeah, this is just ca- confounding chaos. It's chaos in in a way that is not appealing. Mm. And and, and I'm, this is speaking as somebody who loves Sam and Max Freelance Police, which is also chaos. Yeah, and I actually disagreed with you mm. on that. I also thought mm. that one was too much chaos. Mm. This is almost the right amount of chaos for me, okay. and I think there, I think it's possible to tweak this a little bit and get to a place where it works. I think mm. if you tweak it a bit and make Miss Muffet. You can make her the anti-hero, where she's still this really hard-talking, yeah. criminal-type character, but she is right. Yeah. I think you could do something kind of here's, fun with that, where she's like this anti-hero, and Debbie is yeah. like 
technically the hero, but we see her more as like the roadrunner in a Wile E. Coyote thing where we just can't ever stop her. Uh, he would hate to hear me say this, but I think the best way to make this show work is to make Ralph Bakshi a producer, not a director. That might be the case. You kind of let him oversee, let him dictate, but you let other people write and tell the story. There are some people who have really fantastic ideas, and sometimes they come out perfectly. Mm. And sometimes it would probably be best to try to put a spoonful of sugar on that. Yeah. And help it, help it go down like, a little easier. Rain them in a little bit. Yeah, so, just, okay, some you're at some a, artists are a little too wild. You're at a 20. <laughs> I want to take you to a 12. Can we do a 12? Is that still too... Is that it's not st- enough? You're still over 10. You're still fine. Still over 10, yeah. but can we do a 12? Like, that's... You're, mm. you're, maybe you're right. And I think that that mm. that's might very well I, be I, I feel that way about Robert Rodriguez. When he's left to mm. his own devices, he makes garbage. Often, yes. Often. often. And yeah. some of some of his own independent projects his, are fine. His but, yeah. early stuff in particular was really, really good. But mm. by the time he was doing, like, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, he's gone off the rails. He's gone off the rails. But when you give yeah. him a big budget and a lot of studio oversight, he makes The Faculty. And that's a great movie. Faculty is a great movie. Yeah. People don't talk about it enough. That's a really rock uh, so, solid so sci-fi horror movie. I'm kind of looking forward to, even though I hate the design of the character, Alita Battle Angel yeah. uh, is Robert Rodriguez with a big budget and a lot of studio oversight, and I think he's going to make something good out Produced of that. Produced by James Cameron, and James Cameron will tell you to knock it the hell off and yeah, appeal yeah. to the mainstream. So I, th- I yeah. think he, Robert Rodriguez, is one of those artists who needs to be reined in. And I'm not telling, when we're not, we're not espousing that mainstream is good. No. We're espousing is that the mainstream isn't inherently bad, and making things accessible isn't in and of itself a bad thing, and sometimes mm. it can be a good note. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, some artists, I want to see them go nuts. Yeah. Terry Gilliam, do whatever you want. I want to see your thing fail miserably <laughs> because that's fascinating to watch. What is your, before we go, uh, yeah. what's what's your favorite Ralph Bakshi movie? Oh, oh golly. Um, I know this is prob- a short episode. Prob- not much to talk about. Probably Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, I think he does, uh, did a good job with that. It's It's been a long time since I've seen it. I've, I seen, the, it. I've seen The Hobbit way more, and that's not a Ralph Bakshi. No, joke. that was Rankin Bass. Yeah. But no, Ralph Bakshi did the first yeah. half of Lord of the Rings as a mm. feature film, and it's cool. Like, it's it mm. speeds through it, obviously. And, it's only he, like two hours long. He had a lot of, like, he was very fond of rotoscoping, that is, mm. filming an actor and then animating over them. Uh, and I think he uses he employs that very well because he can put human characters in with his fantasy characters and it looks pretty natural. Yeah, uh, he did a lot of like rear screen projection uh, techniques, and I think he told the story really well. I think he actually made those characters come alive. Uh, heresy better than Peter Jackson did. I think there are parts of Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings that mm. works better than Peter Jackson's. Yeah, I don't know. It's not a, it's not a clean sweep. Like I, I like, but there are bits of it that are definitely. I better like in John Bakshi's Hurt movie. as that human character, Aragorn. Uh, Gorn better than I like Viggo Mortensen, who I think is kind of a non-entity. I actually love Viggo Mortensen in that, but I actually do agree with you. I think John Hurt is really, really great in the role. Yeah, he, he actually gives some some weight and some personality to that character. Uh, my favorite, as I said before, is Wizards. Mm-hmm. It's really great. It takes place in this uh, fantasy future uh, where a bunch of uh, happy-go-lucky mm-hmm. forest sprite characters uh, find out that the evil wizard who lives off in you know the the neutral zone. Uh, where it has all of the leftover remains of human society, he has discovered cinema, <laughs> and he has discovered fascism, mm. and he is using it to unite evil people. <laughs> and they have to find a way to stop not just an evil man, mm. but bad but, ideas. But propaganda, yeah. yeah. It's an interesting, fascinating, really just, you can get really wrapped up in this weird world that it creates. And the ending of Wizards is one of my favorite endings of any movie. Okay. I love the way Wizards wraps everything up. Not not like the Dano Ma, but like mm. the climax. Ah. I love what mm. they do. Because you're thinking to yourself, how are they gonna do this? <laughs> and the and the solution they come up to, like the end of the movie is 
Well, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Like you sort of you sort of bewildered by it, but then you, you know, have to it, go along in a minute. It, it occurs to me with wizards and with Cool World, there's definitely a, a very strong running streak through all of Ralph Bakshi's work of anti Hollywood. Yeah, like he hates show business, and he he's hates trying to showbiz crap to, is what to, he to do, hates. To do, he likes yeah, like, cinema, but he hates show business. Yeah, yeah, and the main character in Cool World is named Hollywood. If she could, Hollywood, if she could, and uh, I'm not sure if you remember this, but there was a big promo of. Uh, for Cool World, where they put a gigantic wooden uh, cutout of Hollywood, the main character, on the Hollywood sign. I don't remember that at all. That's amazing. Yeah, they sat her up on the sign. They put this I'm gigantic sign, uh, this big uh, wooden cutout of Hollywood, on the Hollywood sign to promote Cool World, wow. a movie which failed, by the way. Man. And it was a bad idea because it wasn't structurally sound. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking the, at it now. This the, is amazing. The wind blew her over and oh. injured a hiker. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. She, she, yeah, she's just sitting there on the D at the end. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. was a that. real thing. Wow. Nobody remembers that. And uh, the whole movie, I mean, it's so it's aggressively ugly. It tries to take down the whole notion of Hollywood sex symbols. Hollywood is the villain of the story. Kind of. She's, yeah, trying to manipulate an animator so she can break into the real world and essentially cause chaos everywhere she goes. I like Hollywood's story in there. Gabriel Byrne is a non-entity in that movie. Brad well, Pitt is awesome in that movie. Brad Pitt is very good. He's uh, as the human trapped in cool world yeah. and has become a cop of... Of uh, cartoon characters. I, I, I just want the whole movie to be about him and Hollywood. I don't care about Gabriel Byrne. Mm-hmm. Gabriel Byrne is well, terrible. What, what happens to Gabriel Byrne in that movie? They end up like transforming him in a weird way, yeah. and that they kind of turn him into this boring character that everybody hates. I think is kind of the point of the movie. <sighs> it's pretty lame, though. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't revisited Cool World in a while. Last time I revisited, I remember not liking it very much. Maybe I've changed. It's been yeah. a while. I, um, I remember being really disgusted by the movie on it because I expected something fun. Yeah, no, it's not. It's that's not, not fun. That's it's, not it's, rough it's, it's, Yeah, it's really it's never been rough and dark. Closest he came was Lord of the Rings, and even that's dark. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that is our not very Christmassy canceled too soon Christmas episode. No. If you want Christmassy, you want that's with like cups of hot cocoa talking about Christmas stuff. Again, we recommend you check out last year's Yule Log episode, mm-hmm. uh, which is still available. Um, but yeah, that's that. Uh, you may have noticed that we didn't review Tarzan. <laughs> Again? <laughs> that one's on Whitney. That's on me. He I, did I'm, not ha- finish it in I'm time. having trouble catching up. It's been a busy time. Yep. It's, it's, it's the holidays where we both, we're both very into Christmas. Um, so, but this was always the plan. So we were doing this one. Next time we will be back with Tarzan or I will kill him. Okay. Okay. On the podcast. And, uh, for your pleasure. You are Merry Christmas, Scots. I am. <laughs> What? Uh, that's a Monty Python reference. I remember that joke. You remember that one? Yeah, yeah it was, it was on one of their records. Oh, I didn't listen they, to all they, the records. Did, they did a, rec- uh, a radio show of The Death of Mary Queen of Scots Part 1, <laughs> and that was the entire show. Somebody <laughs> stepped in and said, you are Mary Queen of Scots, and this high-pitched voice, Terry Jones, says, I am. And then it's just like four, four solid minutes of somebody being beaten savagely. Jesus. <laughs> it's like furniture being knocked over, and then, then it fades out. They said, Part 2 will begin immediately, and they fade back up, and then just the beating continues. Dear God. And then halfway through, it says, I think she's dead. No, I'm not. And the beating just continued. That's the entire sketch. Lots well, of dark. Um, <laughs> it's hilarious. Happy happy holidays, everybody. Um, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for being part of the Cancel Too Soon community. Uh, if you subscribe on Patreon, we especially appreciate all of your contributions, mm. uh, the effort you put into helping the show keep going. If you can't afford Patreon or mm. uh, you haven't had an opportunity to yet, uh, we understand and we still want you to have a really happy holiday and we yeah. just love that you, you're with us, you're joining us uh, and that you're making this journey that we're on mm. all the more, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Familial? 
Like I just, I just feel like we're in this all together, yeah. and that's a time. That's a thing we should be feeling at Christmas. Com- camaraderie. We should be feeling like we're all in this together at Christmas, mm-hmm. and that's what I feel uh, from all of our listeners uh, and all of our supporters. Thank you very, very much, and uh, we will see. We'll be back before the end of the year. Yeah, as long as you finish Tarzan. I'll finish Tarzan. Okay. You sure? I'll finish Tarzan. Okay. But seriously, if you are on Patreon, we have a bunch of Christmas content up. Make sure you check it out. Uh, We have randomizer episodes, Christmas episodes of Psych and Gilmore Girls. Whitney and I have never seen them. We've invited special guests Alonzo Duralde and Joelle Monique to explain them to us while we get everything wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have our Cancel Too Soon monthly movie, which should be out more or less by when this episode comes out, in which Mm -hmm. we review the... What may very well be the first slasher movie, and it's also a Christmas movie starring Sally Field. Yeah. It's a TV movie from 1972. Uh, it's called Home for the Holidays. That was an interesting exploration mm. into TV history. And we have a bunch more stuff coming in the new year. Thank mm. you very, very much, everybody, for listening. We hope you have a wonderful, safe, happy holiday. And we'll see you next season. <laughs>